Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to wherever you are. You are listening to the All Talk Car Podcast, episode number two. And, uh, we've got a debut run-on co-host, Ross Galetis, joining us tonight. How are we doing? Uh, Paul Halil is uh, sick tonight, so he couldn't make it. But our first guest is Harry Christian from Muscle Cars Sales, as well as Muscle Car Radio. G'day, Harry. Hello, mate. How are you? Good to be here. I'm really good, really good. Harry Christian is the guru of muscle cars in Australia. Um, Gee, but that's a bit of a prop. I don't know about guru, but you know I'll take it. We'll go with guru. <laughs> we'll go with guru. <laughs> it's it's yours now. Bit of a stretch. Bit of a stretch. That's okay. Well, the guru can come and see us yeah. if there is a, the guru out there. <laughs> Harry, how, how did you get? I mean, into the niche of the muscle cars. How, how uh, was that? Yeah, look, I uh, muscle cars. One of those things. If, if, I mean, if you if I wind right back, I was born a Westie, right? Western suburbs of Sydney. When I say Westie, I was born in and around the Canary Bank Centre area in a place called Belfield, right? We didn't surf much. <laughs> we didn't do too much yeah, surfing. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what do you do? Yeah, you know, we, we would buy all the EH holds and HRs and the old XP Falcons. We back in the day, you could buy them for hundred bucks or fifty bucks, and we used to play around with them. We toyed with them. We just had a lot of fun doing it, and that was how we passed the time. And one thing led to another, and of course. When we could, we'd go out to the racetrack and watch the, the now infamous, you know, the, the likes of the Brocks and the Moffats and whatever get around the racetrack. And you just grew to love these things. Mine sort of culminated with the establishment of a business in 2003 where I started selling muscle cars. So the, the, the XP, just go back yeah. to the, uh, I think it's more southwest uh, now. Yeah, but, yeah um, that's right. The, soon it'll be cities. It'll, right. be, it'll be inner city <laughs> yeah. soon. Like that was that in the seventies, the eighties when we were yeah, driving. Yeah, so I'm, so I'm fifty two years of age now. I mate, I was. Um, we're talking. Uh, we're talking eighties, um, late seventies, early eighties. Uh, I got my license through the mid eighties. Uh, you know, sixteen nine months was sixteen years of age, and nine months was was the time you could get your L plates. And of course, the the day I became sixteen and nine months old, there we were at Chalora, down there at the RTA, waiting in line because you couldn't wait any longer. And of course, you got your license and off you went. So that was the era, and. Um, Back in the day, we had the wrecking yards. There was no eBay. You could have to go down on the weekend and get your bits and pieces from the local wreckers. And, you know, everybody had one of these things. Whilst they were all worth a fortune now, they were everywhere and plentiful. And they were the days when you could actually get in under the bonnet and work on these things yourself and tinker with them. We, we love to do that. So what did the old plates go on first? What was the first one? Ah, so my first thing, yeah, good question. So my old man, a bit of background, my old man worked for Leyland Australia. He was a panel beater and he was responsible for a lot of the um, detail work on the then MGs that were imported, but he was part of that whole process that um, worked on the P76, uh, which came to the demise. Successful, very successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great car. Yeah. No, car right. of the year, <laughs> apparently. It's a car of the year. 44-gallon drum yeah. in the boot, right? But, but Wheels Magazine says it's only the V8 that was the car of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about it was it just came out at the wrong time, right? Right on the fuel crisis. But he was part of that. And his work, I guess, and our passion for cars uh, saw it all blossom. But my first car was an, a wagon. It was a, a, a an EH Holden, 64EH wagon. I remember it was burgundy with a white roof. Oh. And it had retrofitted, uh, Ross, would you believe, a 202 big block in it. <laughs> Did it have special badges on yeah, the side? It had. It was a special. Yeah. It had the 179 badge on it, but we had a 202, 202. in it. So it was a bit of a sleeper, mate. Oh. <laughs> that was the first car. It cost me $90. The car, literally. And you right. sold it for how much? Not much more than that. Because back, yeah, back but in the, was well, good. Back in the day, uh, they, you know, when I sold it a few years later, they weren't as popular. Now they'd probably be worth 20 or 30 grand if I still had it, of course. But back then they were worth nothing. But and, relatively easy to work on as well. Oh, it was nothing. I mean, if you if you had some sort of basic idea, I have a, I have a mechanical yeah. background, but if you, if you had a basic idea, there was, it wasn't like cars today where you open the bottom and there's, there's one big uh, plastic, plastic panel and you've got to plug it into the computer. Back then yeah. it was like you had to have a feel for them. But what, what would go? I mean, they are simple cars. Mm. 
what would go on it? Generally, the clutch, because we used to do all the burnouts in the car parks. <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. 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 Yeah. Uh, statute of limitations. I mean, it should be safe now. <laughs> it was asking for it, Your Honour. Uh, but but uh, look, I think what would go with them, as long as you got the points set right and uh, you got the car be tuned and the, the fuel mixture correct, there wasn't too much that went wrong with them. They either worked yeah. or they didn't. Yeah. And I think the trick with those old buses, because of the way they were built, was to just regular oil changes and um, off you went. Bit of TLC and uh, not much went wrong with them, to be honest. Um, so basically, we, we, when you started out, were you working in, 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 in the game or were you... I, I did my time as, a, as an aircraft mechanic, of all things. I, oh, wow. I first started as a mechanic for Qantas, which was... I don't do that now, of course. I did my four or five years and I moved on. But my love for mechanical things just got me into um, an apprenticeship at Qantas. And we used to do a lot of foreign orders back then. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say too many things, but foreign orders were about taking all your, all your parts into the Qantas engineering area and getting all the bits chromed and getting them cleaned. And you know, you did it after hours, of course. Of course, of course. Uh, it saves itself a lot of money doing it that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this is what we used to do, and, uh, and I just loved it. It was terrific. And uh, as I said, one thing led to another. As we got a little bit more money, we got into then the Brock cars came along. That was the year of the early eighties, yeah. which are becoming quite popular now, right? Big time. So, yeah. you know, you had that run of early 70s cars that are now through the stratosphere, the likes of the GDHOs and the Monaros and stuff like that, and the Chargers, with the, which are worth a fortune. When I first started selling them, when I set up, um, you know, muscle car sales, we were selling and exchanging back in 2003, we were exchanging GDHOs for 50 to 60 grand, and now they're selling for anything up to a million dollars. You know, that's better than property by, by the right. So it's not going to continue forever, but yeah. yeah. But the GDHO, there's an aura about that car. Mm. Whenever someone thinks of muscle cars or Australian muscle cars, yeah. it's the GDHO Phase 3, the XY. Correct. That, yeah. That's like the halo car. Yeah. Um, is it that good? Look, the GDHO was probably if, if it was probably the pinnacle of Australian muscle cars, apart from the racing heritage and the success it had on the racetrack. Um, the car was pretty much bulletproof. It was basically a, a, a family sedan, for the want of a better explanation. Uh, and what they did was they went and shoehorned um, F100 truck running gear in it. I'm exaggerating, but basically a, a bulletproof top-loader gearbox, a bulletproof 9-inch diff, they got the basic 351 Cleveland engine and put the big heads on at the carburetor and all the all the go fast bits which were off the shelf out of the US, mm. you know, um, the cohorts out of the US uh, division of Ford, and they built this thing called the GDHO. That was the third generation, the XY. The first generation was the XW, and there was the Phase Two, which went from Windsor to Cleveland engine, and it culminated in the Cleveland Phase Three. The, the, the mystique with the Phase 3, of course, within the whole XY range was the shaker. You know, it had that, on the that bottom, hood screw. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. So you'd sit there at the lights and you'd be idling and this thing would be burbling along at the top of the bonnet. And, and, and that just sort of took everybody. It had appeals. It had appeals. And then you had, of course, Alan Moffat and the likes who ran these things and won at Bathurst. But they only made 300 of them, right? Which is which goes all, to rarity. And all 3,000 of them still exist. <laughs> well, yeah. a funny joke was when I was growing up, you, they made 300 and they had about, there were about 2,000 in Marigville. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, that, that, and at, the, at the time, I believe they were probably the world's fastest four-door sedan. It they were a, a quick car. They were. Look, and this is so the only car to beat it as far as quarter mile runs was the then Charger came along, and the Charger and the E49 were slightly faster. So that's where the E49 sort of got a bit of kudos, you know. 
there was the big the big end of town Mercedes Benz back in the day, which would yeah. Well, not the quite the Pullman was the um, I think it was the the, the six point six point nine liter equivalent. Yeah. But you know that was an exotic car no, compared yeah. to the the four. It was big dollars, yeah. Compared to the four, probably the Bentley of its day. But, but yeah. The, yeah, definitely the fastest uh, four door sedan in its era was the was the Phase Three GDHO bulletproof, yeah. About 100 and 120 left of them. Yeah, and, and the win on Sunday, sell on Sunday. That uh, Sorry, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. That that was a big mantra in the 70s yeah. and, and even in the 80s when it came to Bathurst and places yeah. like that. So we said about the awe of the GDHA, and you mentioned the Chargers were a quick car in its own right, yet the Charger never won Bathurst. And the Chargers you can pick up for yeah. a fraction of the GDHA well, price. You, you say that, but um, again, the Chargers, um, they have a bit of a cult following amongst the, the Chrysler files, we call them, you know, the, the, the Chrysler guys. The Chargers were divisional winners, and, and you know, you go even earlier to the, the, the Pacers and the four-barrel Pacers and the two-barrel Pacers, which were the predecessors to the Chargers. And they had divisional wins, and they won specific races. Chargers were very big in New Zealand, by the way, and they won outright over there. I mean, the GDHOs couldn't catch them over there. Mm. The, the Chargers were actually produced by a company called Todd Motors. Once they produced, they were assembled in New Zealand. Australia used to send over the bits. They would put, put them together over there and sold them as, as local content. Uh, they were very successful. But the Charger, of course, was a two-door, so it had that sexy appeal with a two-door two -door coupe. Um, they were only a six-cylinder, 265 as compared to 351 cubic inch, six-cylinder versus V8. And as far as quarter-mile runs, you know, they, they, they beat these, the, the big Fords, right? But you've got to understand, and I think it was quoted somewhere, the, the Ford Works team of the day, when they campaigned the Phase 3, it had, sorry, the, the, the Chrysler team had the equivalent budget of Ford's brake budget. In other words, <laughs> the money that Ford, that Ford spent just on its brake development you know, is what Chrysler had for its entire racing development team. So really, they were well pun punching above mm. their weight. So for the most part, they, they were um, they had an appeal. You'll still pay three to four hundred grand for a really oh, good, really wow. top end okay. E forty nine. Wow. Don't worry about that. You wow. still pay good money these days. So that's the E forty nine is the pinnacle. That's the equivalent of the Phase three in the charge. That's as, as yeah. good as it got. In the VH range, and yeah. and with the success of the Charger or that power mm. to weight ratio with the sixes, is that do you think where Holden then moved to Tirana from the Monaro in the seventies? Oh, well, yeah, or, or was it a marketing thing? Was it a, was a Tirana a better car than the Monaro? Good question. So the Monaro sort of kicked it all off, you know, in the early days when when they came along in sixty seven. Uh, 67 actually Ford came along and did their thing with the XR GT which was the first of the, yeah. the 289 sort of Mustang bred thing and then in 67 you had the HK Monaro came along with the 327 Chevy and every year they'd up the ante but the the HDT team the Holden dealer team back in the day and Harry Firth who was charged with you know, looking after all the development on behalf of the factory back teams he went the other way when it came around about HTHG, around about 72, 71, 72. He said, you know, we're going to move away from the bigger lumpy Fords and we're going to go to a slightly lighter car, a lot lighter car, in a, with a very powerful shoehorn six-cylinder built into it with triple carburetors, which was the XU1 Toronto, as you say. Yep. And they had success and the rest is history. And of course, mm -hmm. that sort of developed for a few years and then they reverted back to almost a hybrid. In other words, a, a lighter, a still light vehicle in the form of the A9Xs and the L34 Taranas, which were still very light cars, but they then went to the V8. They shoehorned mm. the five-liter in them, and they developed those cars. So you still had a very light car, and uh, but they still had the V8 in them. So they weren't as, 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 as heavy and as brutal as the Ford cars. They were more, more a refiner vehicle. 
and of course the likes of Peter Brock had great and success. Was, and uh, there was know, a young Peter him. Brock with his long curly hair, yeah. and, and they're basically. He then, I mean, do you remember during those days? I mean, I, I was sort of only six, I was a yeah. little whippersnapper. Born yet, so. You weren't born yet. Yeah, So you only know power windows. Yeah. Is that right, Ross? Air conditioning but, for us was out the window, right? <laughs> my dad had a 480, four windows down at 80 kilometres an hour, or should I say 50 miles an hour. Was he popular then in the late 70s? Was, was the aura with the Peter Brock Holden connection? Yeah. Or was he just. The young guy that was pretty good. Look in the in the in the, um, in the seventies, he was the young guy coming through. You know, yeah. he was a young guy coming through, and he he joined the team, and then Peter, you know, the Firth uh, took him under his wing, and you know, he had just natural ability, and natural ability turned into races and race wins, and the more race wins, of course, became turned into legendary status, and so yeah. it went. Brocky had a thing where he could actually, he he had this thing about being able to. He had a real sense and feel for a car. Whatever you put him behind the wheel of, he had a real. He was really at one with them for the most part. So, the idea being that he could actually nurse a car around, without caning it too hard in order to get the result. He could nurse the car around to a win. And his um, his natural ability was unlike anything we ever saw. A question has probably never been asked. Yeah. If Brock wasn't behind a Falcon, mm. would he have been as, as, just as successful? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and so it's and, a natural talent. Yeah, it's a talent. Look, in those days, of course, the way it worked, and today it's all very controlled. We see the latest Bathurst stuff, and you know, you see the championships. They're controlled so much capacity. You can only use these brakes, and everything's controlled. But in those days, it was all out. The cars you drove to work in, actually, literally, they would have them registered with the plates and take yeah, the brake track on the weekend. Yeah, right? they would drive in the Bathurst. And and every year, the companies upped the ante, so they would develop a little bit better brake, a better engine, a better gearbox, and so it went. Uh, and a lot of it really came down to, um, at the end of the day, driver ability. And Brocky was just one of those guys. And then, of course, you had um, Alan Moffat and the likes, you know, the Colin Bonds of the yeah. world, on the Ford side of things, the Colin Bond was was actually he was actually in the Holden camp early in the piece. They did chop and change. Those guys were equally as talented. So, uh, the the right car, the right time with the right talent, did the trick. So yeah, so. that's right. And then we're moving into the eighties. Then the Commodore came out. Uh, the Ford still raced Falcons, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then so muscle cars evolved. Yeah. What, what would you the difference between the late 60s, 70s, and say the 80s? Yeah. You got fuel injection. You got, you got, oh, yeah. you got mean, technology. It's technology just... is technology, right? I mean, but the appeal of the early cars is is still most revered to this day. When you look at the the, the brutality of those early cars, there was no such thing as air conditioning. That was an option. There was no such thing as power steering. It was a muscle car because the, you literally grew muscles and you, you grew biceps. And is and that where the term came from? No, well, something like that. You you know you, you needed muscles in order to get these things around the track and, and maneuver them around the streets. Right? Mm. They were they were definitely not luxury uh, vehicles. So. Um, they, and they were brutal. They just sounded right. It was guttural. There was something almost um, caveman-like about you, when you turn that engine on, you had that note of the big vagrant mm. sitting in the background. And then, of course, you dropped the clutch, and that was the business end of it, you know, and that smell, the whole yeah. the whole thing was... A, I look at a muscle car, obviously yeah. not growing up, and I look at them and I go, yeah. they just roar. Yeah. You know, you look at them and... Primal. Yeah, that's the word. That's, that's, that's a good word. Primal. And then, of course, you had the stripes. The, or they all had go fast colors. They were yellows. They Gotta were reds. The stripes. The, stripes the stripes made it faster, or oh, did it weigh it down? Definitely no, made it faster. Made Especially it the ones that went from the bonnet on the roof, <laughs> exactly. on the roof <laughs> through the back. <laughs> yeah. And if it happened to be a red car, even faster. Even faster. <laughs> what about the Subaru sticker? <laughs> well, you had Subaru, then you had the GTS. You know, the Grand Tour Sport. Yeah, you had yeah, the Subaru. Yeah. They 
the kangaroo and off you went. So, yeah. And then, of course, you, you talk about the broadcasts in the 80s. They became more refined. You know, they were refined. You had, um, and then later on, we got ABS braking. We got air conditioning. And so it went. But the real uh, muscle car era, for the sake of a better explanation, is probably that, that late 60s through to early 70s. It was probably a window of about five to six years, both here and in the U.S., where the true diehard, if you like, mm. purists, would consider the cars from that era muscle cars. Mm. Uh, the Brock stuff still has appeal these days on account of Peter Brock, the legend, and yeah. the success he had. So mm. the Brock cars are, are mm. quite valuable. But they still do to this day. You look like you look at my kids, one of my kids who's mm. 11, who loves his cars, mm. they look at muscle cars and they go, they're the 60s and the 70s cars. Yeah. They don't go, hey, late, late uh, early 90s Commodore to them is not a muscle car. So yeah. they, no. they yeah. definitely did define it. Yeah, they? 100%. But then if you look at, t- 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 fast forward 21st century, you've got AMG, you've got... These massive power V8 cars oh, coming out of Europe, yeah, and even the Hellcat and America's yeah. sort of reliving mm. that um, uh, that period. But I want to touch with the US for all our listeners in the US. Um, <laughs> the US were more a coupe type. Their muscle cars were all the the, the, the Barracuda, the Plymouths, the the, the Mustang, the, 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 yeah. the, 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 yep. the, the Chevy Novas. They, they yep. were more coupes. There weren't really any four door sedans. Where Australia yes. has more a love for the sedan. Yes, I mean you've got the Monaros or a, a soft, soft spot yep. and the and the Falcon coupes, but <clears throat> that's the other unique thing I, I find. I mean the formula is the same up front, but at the back, an Australian even to this day they want to put the family in the car and and mm. and, and go for that drive in, mm. in in the sports sedan if you want to use a, a more modern term. Yeah. Well, I think in America it was more a coupes and. Well, they don't regard four door cars as muscle cars in the states. Quite mm. frankly, if you talk to an American purist and you tell him we have four door muscle cars, our most revered muscle car in Australia is a four door. They laugh at you. They think, mm. well, it can't be a muscle car. It's not a coupe. It's not a two door. Yeah. Right? So for them, a muscle car, and as it's defined, as it's sorry, defined in their um, in their texts, mm. a muscle car is a two door high performance, you know, a vehicle based on uh, a, a, an up a, an upgraded factory car or factory set mm. factory type um, uh, motor vehicle so for them the xys and the tirana four doors just simply wouldn't cut it for them a muscle car is definitely a two door so the boss mustangs the camaros of the early days they had the nascar formula of course and then they had the trans am formulas mm. two mm. different formulas mm. and the cars that were developed and homologated for those uh races uh, or coupes, yeah. Very rarely you'll see a four-door high-performance cars. They, That's right. Yeah, they, they toured with them in in modern times. Yeah, they had the night Taurus SHOs and things like that, mm. with Yamaha V8s and and the like. What about a sleeper car? Mm-hmm. Is that a, super, a muscle car? Do you think? Look, a sleeper car is uh, when you say a sleeper car, you're talking about uh, something that's modified or a standard. It's, it's it's like it looks standard, yeah. But underneath the bonnet is something yeah. crazy and look angry look or... boring. Yeah. <laughs> I say that. I say that. You need Look, that visual. You know, if, if, if the muscle car is all about the noise, the presence, the hand, you know, the, the, the arm, out, yeah, the stripes, the arm out the window, <laughs> going down the main strip, and we we're talking about Ross earlier, grew up in Maroubra and Sydney. You know, you go down the, and the kids would all be parked on the on, a, on in the car park, bonnet the bonnet up, up. Yeah. staring at all yeah. the chrome under yeah, the bonnet. For sure. And, yeah, when we were kids, it was Dolls Point and Ramsgate. Yeah. You know, you go down there on, the, on a Saturday, and they'd all be lined up, and it's all about the visual as much mm. as it is. The whole feel of it. So, the sleepers are all very well, and they do have a place. There are guys that like to be understated, but mm. the real purist, that mate, you want to no. make as much noise as be and yeah. be as seen as you can and be, as, and as bright as you can be. Correct. But um, yeah. So, speaking about the GDHO and the aura of that vehicle, a lot of these cars have hit million dollar prices mm. in auctions, and they're hovering over the mm. half a million. Do you see that when the economy is good? That is there a cycle with these muscle cars? Are they an investment? Yeah. 
Mm. Is the GDHA like the Ferrari GTO of yeah. Australia? Like, good question. Very good question. Look, I think, and just for our listeners, we're not financial planners. Please don't, <laughs> don't, take, don't take any of our don't advice as gospel. Uh, yeah, 2007, I sold what was then the record uh, transaction for 750 grand. We then went into the 2008 and 2009, you know, downturn in the GFC. economy, GFC, as you can recall. Um, car still sold. And cars continued to sell. Uh, the general populace, the, the run-of-the-mill stuff definitely was impacted. But the high-end stuff that goes to the guys that are, I call them the, the five percenters, they're still cashed up people. And they will always purchase those vehicles. Right? So you know the way it works in an economy. You have the top five percent. And they're not recession-proof, but yeah. they will buy that car. And they're buying these cars to take out on the, on you know Sunday with their, their family? Or are they just no. a lot putting of them, are, them on a, a hoist and sticking them in the garage and that's pretty much it? Good question. So a lot of the collectors that we sell these cars to buy them because as kids they couldn't afford them. Mm-hmm. They grew up watching them race around the track. They've now made a lot of money because they've built a block of units and cashed in or they've yeah. you know equity made or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And of course what happens is they'll go out and they'll pay a million dollars or 500 or 600 grand for one of these cars, whatever okay, their choice yeah. is. And they'll put it away and they'll collect it and they'll look at it. They'll take it to a show every now and then and the boys will come around in the shed and they'll sit around and drink beers around it and off they go. Mm. But it is very generational Mm. and there are cars that will always transcend the generation, cars like the GDHO. If you look at the older generation, the silver, the silver spur, and the, the you know um, Rolls Royces. You look at the D-type Jags. The guys that saw these cars race around are all have all left this mortal world, right? But the cars still retain their value because there are specific cars that will always be worth money, like the GDHO, like the Charger, like the Angion X Tirana. But the run-of-the-mill stuff, I think, will be impacted by generations, mm. definitely. But the real collectible classics, just like art, will always have a place, in my opinion. And and do you think uh, with Prices are pretty high at the moment. A lot of cars have gone skyrocket. Nine mm. Elevens uh, come to mind. Mm. <laughs> that, that creates a vacuum effect. Mm. So you find Falcon Coupes have sh- bolted in price. Yep. Are some of these cars worth the money? Like the second T, third T type cars. You see Falcon XD GLs, three fifty ones, or an X Chaser wanting thirty, forty, fifty grand. Mm. If you're really? if you're starting out, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're yeah. starting out, VL Turbo Calais, uh, where if you're just starting out as a collector, do you go? Do you spend that sort of money yeah. on those cars, mm. or not? It's all relative, right? So, uh, and again, I'm not evading the question, but it, does it does it cause a vacuum, a slipstream? It does. So when when a GDHO goes from ninety grand to two hundred to three hundred, when they when they hit two hundred, we thought the world's gone mad, right? When they were then started exchanging for 400, we thought the world is definitely mad. Now we're at the exchanging to close to a million. Some have changed hands for about a million dollars. And we thought the world has definitely officially gone mad. But what it does, it definitely has an effect. Because we talk about the top 2% or the 5%. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the 30%. Then you've got the other 40%. The rest. So it's all about affordability. If I can't afford the... There's a barrier. If I can't afford... Yeah. If I can't afford the million dollar car, then what do I do? I either buy a replica or I buy something that's genuine but not as valuable with the hope of it being worth something or I just buy it because I love it and I just want to drive it around. So that's where the values of these ESP Falcons, uh, the lesser Brock Commodores, the entry-level Holden Commodores and even, you know, you talk about Falcon GLs even, you know, the XD Falcon yeah. GLs and stuff like that, with which were standard factory V8s, you know, paying silly money. With dashboards that have melted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it's all about affordability and definitely there has been a slipstream effect for sure. You're talking about Cars, uh, and you you've you know about these cars. What's in your stable? Has anything mm. 
slipped out of the stable that it shouldn't have? Oh, is it something please. that came into the stable and you didn't feed it enough? I should have kept yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want any of those stories, or you don't well, want to... <laughs> I, I, I often wake up in a cold sweat, <laughs> cold sweat of night, and I think yeah. to myself, what did I do really? that for? But because I've been trading them forever and a day, and, I, and I've pretty much owned... I mean, I've owned hundreds and, and uh, bought and sold hundreds of them. And they and I've had pretty much most examples, an example of, of most of the models. I can't think that way, Peter, because I'm not that way inclined, and I never have been a real hoarder or collector. I was going to say, is it a case of yeah. not enough room? Um, All of the above, but I, I wife mean, needs it for shoe collection or anything like that, <laughs> yeah. or, or um, not enough money. You know, school fees. <laughs> you know, like what would be your f- favorite sixteenth car? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, so for me, it's about the experience, Peter. I, I'm not into one of these guys. That I'm not one of these guys. That, and there are these guys that exist. I mean, one of my business partners has. 40 cars sitting in a wow. stable. That's constant, constant uh, looking after, watering, feeding, yeah. maintaining. Oh, yeah, but, you've got to look after But that's the way he is. He's that way inclined. He collects them. He has the capacity and the resources to do it. To look after um, them, yep. I am into the experience. I'll have a car. I'll drive it for six months, a year, two years. I'll move on, next. And so he goes, I don't have any regrets. But there have definitely been cars that, you know, had I kept them, would have been worth a lot more money. But then I had to pay the bills along the way, mate. True. Too. Is there a unicorn? Is there one that you haven't got? Oh, well, is there something out there? There are definitely cars that you know are, are, are one-offs and st- stuff that you will never, you will never come to as a most mortals will never appreciate. For the one that comes to mind, even for those that have all the money in the world, is the Phase Four GDHO. Yeah. You know, after the Phase, they exist. There's like two or three. Was well, it? they may, or is it unofficial? Okay, so so officially only one was produced from factory with a which was stamped at GDHO. The Skunk Works, if you like, or the Ford racing team made another four-rod, I think it was. I think it was about four. So for if, internal use or to sell? They were made to race, actually. They were they were, they were earmarked for racing at Bathurst and rallying. Uh, and then what happened was the in the 70s, the supercar scare came along. A journalist, I can't remember his name now, it'll come to me in a minute, came along and said, oh, these supercars are killing our kids with a photo of a Monaro wrapped around a pole, I think it was. Uh, and so the South Australian government came out and said to the manufacturers, if you don't stop making these supercars, no more government contracts, we're not buying any more of your cars. No more cop cars, no more council cars. And let me go back a step. Yep. These cars had no seatbelts. <laughs> yeah. No brakes. There was no speed limits on the highways in Australia yeah. at the time. And you know, dubious braking. They had seatbelts at the front, that was about it, no seatbelts. So of course, there was an outcry because all of a sudden these cars were reaching yeah. speeds of 140 mile an hour with very little safety uh, yeah. consideration. So it, it was legitimate, but you know, it, it, it stopped dead in its tracks the XU2, which was gonna be the small Tirana with a V8. Yeah. It stopped the phase four GDHO, which was gonna be the the, uh, the next of kin to the um, uh, to the uh, phase three. And it stopped, of course, the what they call the V8 RT chargers. They were gonna build an RT oh, wow. with a V8 in it. And of course, the GDHO um, then was, uh, they made the one factory one, which belongs to a guy, still in, still does the circuits, uh, in, in uh, the green car. Clips I was going to say what color, the gorgeous green, green car. It's an XA white, body shape. XA, the XA body shape. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they then made a, a handful of others, but they were never complied. They never had the phase four GDHO. But, but they had all the good know, bits. Everyone knows. Yeah, but they had all the good bits in them. But the one pure car, that unicorn, the one-off, is that, is that green car that belongs to, we call it the dentist car. He's a really nice fellow, I know him personally. He's a, he's a nice chap and... Um, He's knocked back your office, has he? Office, please, no. I mean, he could have sold that car a hundred times over and there are people lining up. But for him, it's not about the money. He likes having it, Yeah, and I think for him, one day he'll pass it on to... To the next, uh, to the next generation, hopefully so, in a museum somewhere, whatever he's going to do. So, so should I look out for the Brock Falcon or the <laughs> yeah. Brock Lada 
or the HDT Gemini. Remember them the, the, the Gemini ZZ slash Z? They're not yeah. supercars. They're not. They're, nah, they, were, they, were, they were more marketing gimmicks, mate. The, if you couldn't afford a if you couldn't afford a, a true Brocky, you wouldn't bought the Gemini version of the Lada. The other thing I wanted to ask you: Can you, you you've been in the game for decades? You know these cars. Can you spot a fake? Yeah, Some, yeah, when I say yeah. fake, we know this, and I'll talk about fake and replicas and tribute cars. I'm talking about more than someone purporting to sell. And there's been cases where they've sold a, a GDHA for three, four hundred grand when it wasn't yeah. what it was. Mm. Those fakes. I'm talking about like Fordsters. Yes. Or uh, can you spot them? Yeah. Look, you can go through them. There are many things. There are there are chassis numbers. There are there there are actual. You know the difference between a GTHO body and a standard body. I mean, there are there are some hundred plus differences that if you don't know, they're very very subtle between a normal Falcon and a GTHO modified body uh, in the Phase Three. So you've got to go through that and understand all that. Then there's the compliance plates and there's the actual stamped chassis numbers. Um, and so much so now that they become so expensive, when people uh, go through the process, they actually go through and have shock towers x-rayed shock towers where really? the chassis number was spot have them x-rayed to see whether they've been manipulated tampered. at all or tampered oh, wow. with because uh and in some very famous cases they've been found out through x-raying because the idea being that if i'm paying a million dollars for a car i want to make sure that it's the right thing yeah. and it's where cars that have the right providence that have the right log books and known history are worth more than a car it that, might, you know, it might be a even bit risen off cars where they've taken oh, yeah. the plate off and put on the other one that was a futura yeah, so, yeah that's no, right. No, no. Well, that, no, someone's cab back in there. Yeah, yeah they were all taxi. cabs. Ex-taxi. Yeah. All from America. Yeah, they taxi. Yeah. Well, but don't forget. One of my mates used to call Bathurst the taxi race, but mm. uh, that's now changed. Moving on to, but then you've got the ones that are fake, then then they, they call them replicas, but now they call them tribute yeah, cars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do they have a place? Absolutely. Tribute cars are great. And don't forget, you know, going back to the other thing, these cars were worth nothing in the 70s or 80s. They were run-of-the-mill cars. Yeah. So when they're worth nothing, people used to play around with them. They used to dodge them up and do what have you. So you know, can I, even the phase three? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, phase threes were always worth money, but really not not to the extent that we see now. Phase threes never went back in back. My, my uncle who got me into yeah. cars, my, my parents went into cars, my dad was into cars, my uncle who used yeah. to race his minis, he had a phase three. He tells a story about swapping it out for... Yeah. One, I think it was a Fairlane that had the digital dash. Oh, yeah. Swapped yeah, it with yeah, a mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To this day, the mate still has the Phase 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's this conversation that it's every time so he look, I said, hey, how's the Phase 3? He says, please. I don't want to know about well, that. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, going to yeah, compare yeah. times. So in 1985, if you looked at these early 70s Falcons, mm. is it me now looking at the classifieds for a uh, yeah. VZ Commodore with mm. 180,000 clicks on it for two grand? Yeah, but look, there were... A, that that era of car is very different. The cars that came through the 70s and early 60s are the cars that actually race, Pete. This is the difference. And that's why I don't believe... Modern classics will have a place. They're very limited walk-and-shaw Commodores that we saw when Holden shut shop. Yeah. They're very limited supercharged, you know, um, Ford XR8s and stuff. Mm. They will always have a place and always be worth something. They're very limited runs of the Cobra cars that they brought out a few years mm, back in mm, the, yeah. e, e, you know. The stripes. Yeah. So those cars will always be worth something. But the reason the 70s cars are so revered is because what you drove on the street and what exists today in the form of restored or unrestored, if you're lucky, was what actually raced on the track. Yeah. Whereas these days, yeah. it wasn't the case. They're, they're heavily modified. It's they're, they're nothing. Shell. Yeah, it's a body shell. It's, a, it's the shape, right? Mm. The rest of it is all is all being modified to a formula. Back in the day, though, you literally drove your Monaro out the driveway to Bathurst, and raced. Kept it and raced, or to Warwick Farm. And they were, that, that's why they were dealer teams. Exactly Some of them right. were dealers. Exactly right. So 
But but back to tributes. I mean, there's a place for them. Tributes are great because you can't afford the room coin. And, you know, these race cars too, by the way, the, the genuine ones now are the ones that actually raced back in the day were worth a small fortune. We've just seen the the 83 uh, Brock Commodore change hands for $2 million at uh, one of the auction houses in recent times. So they're worth a fortune. So you can't afford The that. race car, yeah. yeah. So well, I'll, I'll talk about Brock Commodores. Mm. Now. I was sort of pushing to the 80s. And, and are the Commodores that collectible, that good a car? Or is it because of the unfortunate event of Peter Brock, you know, almost 10 years ago to the mm. day? He's passed. He's yeah. passed. And is, is it... I mean, I know those cars doubled in value after hearing, you know, when you hear you say yeah, yeah. someone pass it away, like yeah. I'm sure. But um, are they good cars? There's definitely legend status associated with it, but they they were always valuable cars. Even when Peter Brock was around, they were always valuable cars. They were always, they were always limited run cars, uh, and they were always true uh, race spec built cars from factory. They were the '80s cars. Don't forget, Ford went to sleep in the '80s. They didn't yes, really produce they the race cars. They dropped the V8s. Yeah, so Brocky used to... Well, they, they had the ESPs, and what, but they weren't real hardcore race cars like the, like the Brock cars. So Brocky would go to Holden, he'd buy, a stand, he'd, he'd buy a standard Holden Commodore from them, he'd take it into the HDT works, and they'd outward pop this high-performance vehicle. So they were always worth money, and they were always appreciating... He was classic. the HSV of his Correct. day. And HSV came up, yeah, the walk and yeah. stuff. And, but they um, always will always they always had their place, they were always valuable, uh, and the best thing about... That era, which and it's a generational thing because the kids that grew up in that Brock era, you and I grew up in the in the seventies and mm. early eighties, but the kids that grew up in the eighties and nineties are the Brock kids, if you like, who are now in their late thirties, early forties. Uh, those kids there by this time had realised the value of a classic, and most of these cars are preserved with very low miles. Yes. Whereas in our day, the old Falcons and they were the driving, cars, they, were driving yeah. they, were, they came yeah. them and, and enjoyed them exactly. Right. So uh, there were there are exceptions, of course, some very good unrestored cars. I mean, we've we've got a beautiful yeah, bronze thing at the moment, a HT Monaro 350 thing, that's got 58,000 original miles on it. You've got wow. to see this thing to believe oh, wow. it. But yeah, definitely definitely the real McCoy, the broadcast. And and then touching on HDT, they've sort of come back a couple of years ago, and they brought out some limited edition VEs with. Mm. Retro kits on them with the blue mini and the white one and yeah. the bigger wheels. Yeah, that that. Oh, look, HDT uh, ch- has changed hands. The company can. The company has changed since leaving Brock and his crew. It went to one organisation, then the Panisi brothers owned it, and then Peter Champion most recently, who was producing these cars. Mm. If you're talking about the later model ones, they're never going to have the the aura and the collectability of the early Brock cars. Don't forget, the Brock cars were designed overseen and uh, to the spec of the, the late Peter Brock and, and his group. So, yeah. What about the Polarizer? Was yeah, that Polarizer? one of my favourites. I, I, that was polarising in yeah, its day. Yeah, it was polarising, <laughs> pardon the pun. But the Polarizer was a... He got involved. Uh, the Polarizer was supposed to enhance the electrical current flow. Uh, basically a box of crystals that sat in the, <laughs> the scuttle train inside the, um, the plenum chamber of the, of the vehicle. Look, uh, some of still got it. Jury's out. Yeah, they some, have, and they're some, worth a lot of money because yeah. of the novelty. I, I've owned uh, two of them, and uh, let me tell you, they made 173 of the 500 cars produced had the polarizer, and they stopped making them. And that was the era where Brocky had a fallout, and then they brought Walkinshaw in, and special vehicles yeah, came around. Yeah, there was a big blue with yeah, Holden. That yeah. was what year was that? Uh, Eighty. So eighty-seven. Was yeah. there about eighty? Yeah, sort of late eighties was now, about the it, time. Didn't Brock try to go out on his own at that stage? Yeah, and tried, it was but, a finance thing. Yeah. Look, he always had HDT, but by that time, uh, the whole thing had. And then Holden, of course, refused to sell him cars that he then enhanced and, and sell it and refused to sell them through the Holden dealer team, yes. and, and that all went went by the wayside. And Holden also felt, to be honest, that they were missing out because the high performance cars that were being sold out of the Holden dealers 
were all Brock's cars, and he was getting the lion's share of the profit. And Holden said, well, we're missing out here. So they employed Walkinshaw and produced the Walkinshaw, and off they went. So do you, would you say that, do you think there's a conspiracy theory behind oh, that? There's a bit or of there's a bit is of it just... Look, I think if, if Brocky had, if Brocky, rest his soul, had sort of come around and, and played ball a little bit, uh, they could have worked it out. He had he had pulling power, but Brocky wanted to do his own thing as he always wanted to do. Is he a racer uh, before marketing? Definitely. Oh yeah, Brocky lived for Brocky for Sunday. For, Forget yeah, it. Racer, he, before yeah. he was a businessman, before he was everything, Brocky was a racer first and foremost, and uh, and and the best at it, right? Uh, Moffat may have a um, Moffat may have a different opinion, but <laughs> but no, he was first and foremost a racer. But uh, and let's call him up now. Let's, <laughs> is that Alan Moffat? Welcome. Oh, no. yeah. um, and then and then he went to Ford. And then we had the I brought up earlier the Brock Falcon, and then yeah, the, the Brock Falcon was a bit of a it was a, it was a body kit. That was a, he did the suspension. There was a bit of fiddling, but I think it was a bit of a, was Ford trying to cash in on the name, but didn't. You know when you have a bit of a tiff with uh, with, with one of your one of your partners, one of your and when you were young blokes and you had a tiff and you, you reacted by finding someone else to make the other one jealous and so when it was a bit of a lover's tiff I think that was a bit of a lover's <laughs> tiff Brocky went straight across straight the Ford and said oh yeah let's build a Ford Brock. Never, the never, never the same not quite right never the same yeah um, is there any cars that we should look out for that haven't um, good question I you know anything look I, I never would have I never would have imagined that We'd see EH Holdens and FB Holdens and EK Holdens, HR Holdens appreciating in value, paying twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars for an average car now. Mm. Uh, we used to scrap these cars for parts; they were worth nothing, right? Yeah. So anything of a bygone era, people have an affinity to and, and want it. It's like antiques; it's like anything that takes them back to another place. They 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 will be happy to pay money for it. So if you can maintain it, the smell, the sound, correct. But anything in a performance style car will always be of some value. Um, uh, cars today that are up and coming, you know, you look at the the WB Statesman, some of those sleeper Statesmans, you know, the HJ, Magnums, the HX, oh, the Magnums. Before that, yeah, yeah. you can still buy them for about twenty, thirty grand, decent car. I think they, they'll increase in value. The early Fairlanes, they've gone through the roof, you know, uh, mm. like like you said, the vacuum effect of the X Y yeah. and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Right. Um, anything Valiant, to be honest, really, well, Valiants were like they were the chariots, right? So who who wanted a Valiant? But now Valiant's paying big dollars for a good Valiant, you know. Mm. So uh, I think anything of a bygone era that is true to its original form mm-hmm. and is affordable is the formula in my in my mind. It's not I've got to look out for that model or that particular one or whatever. They all seem to have their place. So not the, so not the cars at Summer Nights. Well, the modified. Yeah. <laughs> See, I like them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like them too. I got it. I've had a few. But what happens with those is they're an expression. They're an expression of their owner. So if you build a modified car and the next bloke comes along. Well, the next woman comes along and, and has a look at it. They may not like it, so they won't pay what you have invested. No. They're a money pit, right? Yeah. A, yeah. But a, a numbers car that is true to its originality it will always be yeah, a numbers car, course, right? Of course, of yeah. course. I just threw that in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of shakers and, and, and no <laughs> hoods right. down there. Right. and it's um, blowers, blowers hanging in the bottom. And it's, uh, yeah, it's an, uh, we'll try and get out there one, one time. I've, I've been there a couple of years ago, but it was, mm. uh, it was quite funny and quite interesting. What do you think, Ross? You missed out on the muscle car. Yeah? I missed out on the muscle car. I did want to ask though, with, with, with Holden sort of completely coming out of the market yeah. in Australia, mm-hmm. are we going to see those cars? I mean, we well, we talked about the Monaro yeah. before. The, they finished the Monaro. Yeah. Well, I don't know, I'm not sure what year it was. And they yeah. brought it back. Yeah. Um, but are we going to see stuff that they've produced in the last, you know, yeah. the last two or three years because it's the end of the line and it's because, yeah. you know, are we going to see those things I, get to that phase three stage? 
Or do you think? Or I don't know that they're going to get to the phase three stage, but there's certainly going to be something. Certainly in worth something, and already you know people were holding back some of the last editions of the HSVs, the big GDSs, really? the Walkinshaw enhanced cars, um, and uh, they're worth a lot of money. Selling them more as second hand cars with zero kilometres than yeah. than the list price, you know, because of their because of their limited numbers. Well, Holden so, recognised that and mm. sold some of their cars already with the, the plastic still on there. Yeah. And, and, and so they could shelve them. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a friend who's a complete Ford nut, and yeah. he's just gone out and bought three or four. Uh, you know, couldn't afford it, but he's gone and bought three or four of the yes. of the last of the line high performance. Yes. And just put them in a shed. Put them, put and them said, away. You know, that's that's something I want to have for, yeah. Yeah. for later on. Yeah. I mean, but I suppose that's that's eighteen and twenty year olds, thirty year olds now going. Okay, what is because that can they see what we're doing yeah. at the other end? Like you know, these guys are paying a million dollars in their yeah. their forties, fifties, and sixties. I want to be the guy selling that car. Yeah. Look, I don't know if I don't know if the twenty year olds of today are going to the whole the current HSV GDS in the state in the same light or they all give it the same status that you know the the fifty five or sixty year old gives the current phase three. I don't know that that's yeah. going to happen. Look, because there's choice. Stranger now? things. There's choice. There's who who raced the GDS around the track in its current form. I go. I always go back to that. Mm. I, I'm a pretty much a very base base purist. If it raced and it won in that format, it's worth something. It's worth something. Yeah. A, a, a GDS in its current form today has got a badge. Yeah. It's limited in numbers, but you've never seen one on the track. No. They don't race. Yeah, the shell looks something. I mean, the last the last race was a was an, a a Vauxhall built a yeah. Vauxhall built uh, now a Commodore with a hatch and which they shoehorned an LS engine in and off they went. So, for me, I'm a bit of old school man. I'm a bit yeah. a bit of a purist. I don't know that they're going to have the same value. I don't believe so. In your day, in the, in the sales side of things, mm-hmm. have you seen some really good cars and you just shook your head because the owner put. A sunroof, oh. a roof rack, oh. a tow bar. Oh. Like what? What? What are some? any car I want to hear some horror stories. Like, well, let me tell you the horror story that I, I mean, the horror stories of my childhood, right? Growing up, <laughs> I had a Bathurst XU1 Tirana, an LJ Tirana. I kid you not. We ripped the standard interior out of it, and we put these stupid, you know, back in the days you put Recaro seats. You know, They're now called retro Recaro. They're, retro They're retro worth a fortune. They're worth a fortune. Yeah. But, but, but you know. And, and we fled the guards. We actually ripped the guards. We lipped the guards out. We took the standard wheels and put the big fat... See, now that's a car I'd buy over the, the matching Yeah, but car back in the day, that well, was a cool thing. That was a cool thing. We took the triple S shoes off this car and put Perfect. Webers on it. We Perfect. thought, oh, yeah, it deserves Webers. Idiots. Yes, many a time. Or we cut holes in the roof and put those pop-up roofs in them because we thought that was pretty cool. In the, the drive-in. You know, the moonroof of the drive-in, right? <laughs> I mean, that's to open the sunroof oh. completely, you unhooked oh. it and put it in the trunk. Exactly right. Yeah, it clicked out. It clicked out. Really clicked out. Well, cutting, yeah. I remember in the eighties, they were cutting charges, oh. weren't they, to make them into convert? Not yeah, the, the, the boat charges. That's not right. The, not the Bathurst charges. Oh, I don't but even those, go there, mate. Some of the stuff those been boats done. that were cutting them and turning them into convertibles. Yeah, and, yeah, look, I had a mate. I'm modified. <laughs> I'm modifying anything. You can't swear me. I, I prefer to buy the one that's modified. I had a mate who had his father had a three fifty HT Monaro. He took the engine out of it, and what do you reckon he put it into? His panel van. <laughs> that's right. This is what he did. I mean, that, that's awesome. That's, that's what they did in the seventies and eighties. These days, of course, you cringe, but that's what happened. What have you modified, Ross? Tell you what haven't I modified? What have you modified, everything, mate? Everything. It start everything. I, I, I cannot own a car, my wife. Uh, you know, says it, you cannot own a car without touching it. Sometimes it goes straight from the dealer yeah. straight to the workshop and gets and, and gets the suspension or the exhaust, and it doesn't matter what it is. You're a car right? Yeah. Yeah, you can't help yourself. I cannot. And, you know, you always get into a rut. This next car, I'm not modifying. And if anyone knows me, my cars don't last more than six months. Not because I 
write them off because I just kind of get get sick of it and go, okay, what's next? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. If it's suspension, if it's engines, it's it, you know, I, I'll, I'll do whatever I can. You sure. Know? But you know, I, I've kind of looked back on some of the cars I've pulled to pieces and gone. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you know, not not for the money that I sunk into it. Maybe, maybe it would have been okay if I yeah. kind of left it as it and, was. So. And have you ever said when you bought the next car, I won't touch this one? And how long did it take? Every single time, <laughs> every single time. And Pete knows I say that every time. This car yeah, that is was a loaded question. This yeah. car is not being modified. Even even the daily drive that I've got now, as we were talking yeah. about before, yes. I had to order coilovers from Germany for it. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a it's a it's a family van. It's it's a it's a sickness, mate. It's a, it's it's a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem, and we. But uh, it's, it's 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 a good problem. I call it a wholesome, yeah. a, co- a wholesome pursuit. <laughs> could be worse. You could be a gambler. You could be doing all That's sorts it. of silly things. I right? believe in warranty. I, like, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't believe in warranty. Yeah. I've sold a lot of cars when that warranty bill has uh, yeah. gone off. I um, traded in. It's like stale milk. You don't want to keep drinking that. <laughs> Any car that I've bought new, they say to me, "Would you like the extended warranty?" In my head, I always think I should get the extended warranty, but no. The minute I drive out of the, yes. the dealership, I'm not. I'm going to lose the warranty. Yeah, right. It's going to go straight, straight yeah. over to the, to the workshop. Modif- the modif- yeah, it's it's getting modified. Get, it's yeah. going to get a tune, or it's going to get. <laughs> oh, there's no warranty left on the suspension or the brakes because you've ripped it out and put it on. Yeah. So. Well, what you should have is your daily driver, and then just have your your hobby horse for the weekend. This is what a lot of these guys do. A lot of these guys get around and you know they drive their Corollas or they drive their standard whatever they have. Or their multi their Camrys or their multi vans <laughs> like you. Right? And then on the weekend, they have their toy. They have their GT or they have their Monaro, the Charger, and they tinker with that. So that's one way to sort of overcome the bug. The good thing about these old muscle cars, too, if you're modifying them to standard trim, you're generally not going to lose too much money. It's not, Mm. you know, they're an appreciating, call it an asset, call it a collectible, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And... And you should drive these old vehicles. You can't just oh, garage. Like it's not, I mean, we, we, we're talking about like investments like paintings. But paintings, you hang them up on the wall and everyone looks at them and goes, oh, and ah. Yeah. But with vehicles, they, they are sort of living things. You, you need to start them. Yeah. The, the valves, the rubbers, the window. Like they need, Seals always. They, they need to get out there. And, and, and whoever's um, got an appreciation of old cars, drive them. Mm. I mean, eventually, at, at the end of the day, if you're going to get a show queen and not drive because you want to keep the K's low, well, good luck. You probably paid top dollar for it because you didn't buy it from brand new, especially if you're Ross. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but they should go out. They should get driven. And, and, I, and I think we've got that in Australia. I mean, you, you, I know with uh, Pebble Beach and well, those Monterey's and those sort of classic uh, shows in, in the US, you cannot... You win a trophy. You yes. have to drive your vehicle. On of course, it is. Yeah. Look, a work yeah. about the hang on thing. You guys will appreciate that. Are guys that it's it's all it's all about hanging and looking at it, mm. right? The guys, the purists who like to with the cars, um, it's about driving. It's about the experience, the noise, the smell. All is it also about stuff. bragging rights as well? Bragging rights, all that sort of Absolutely. You, you go out and uh, yeah. some of those coffee runs and you know early hours of the morning out at home, which you go out there and there's 200, 300 cars. Yeah, that's right. Cars and coffee, and it's yeah. like, what are you driving? What have you got here today? Exactly. Or what, you know, yeah. you look at that, and yeah. that that kind of. And, and I totally, totally agree. It's all about the experience, and uh, and, I, and I reckon drive them, drive the wheels off them. I might need a muscle car. Yeah, you should get them. Come muscle car, muscle car sales, but I will not modify it. Musclecarsales.com.au. We'll look after you. Harry will hook you up. Just give me something that's not matching number because I'll probably pull it apart. (laughs) Um, Car clubs? Do you you join clubs? uh, Another way to get into classic cars? Should you join a club and then ask? 
Is it better to sort of ask around members that yeah. may want to sell, yeah. might be a deceased estate? Always a good way of doing it. Yeah. Car clubs are the way to go. Do you do you are you a member of many of them? Or I've I've been through the Ford clubs, uh, the Holden clubs, the Chrysler clubs. I've been a member of most of the clubs uh, over the years. Uh, currently, with the, there are generic the clubs that you know deal with um, generic. Uh, if you like enthusiasts, that they're not fussed about you know brand. You have the purest Holden guys, the purest Ford guys. Uh, I'm part of the New South Wales Muscle Car Association. Um, run by a couple of boys, actually down from Wollongong. Really, really good yeah. bunch of guys. They've got some people up here in Sydney as well. Um, and they're a good bunch. They don't care whether you've got a Holden or a, as long as it's a muscle car or even if it's a modified car. You're out there, you're having fun. We go for runs on the weekend. We go to, go to a mm. pie shop up the road and 200-kilometre yep. run and have a bit of a squirt with the family and come back. It's social. Uh, always 200 kilometres in distance. Yeah, in distance. distance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, sorry, not, yes, not, not per hour, officer. Uh, and then of, course, then, of course, there's the whole thing about advice. If you're looking for something, you know, you, you've got guys in there with decades of experience. That, and, they, and I've not been to a club where, you know, yeah, you get the occasional, but for the most part, people are very, very helpful. Well, we're going to thank um, Harry. Do you want to plug anything? Uh, oh, mate, no, look, it's been a pleasure. I hope uh, I'm really excited for you. I, I you are our first guest. Yeah, we're congratulations. On, I hope it all goes for well all for you. I'm sure it will. Um, we're on iTunes. Uh, like yeah. us and uh, on Facebook. Yes. It's, it's All Talk Car Podcast uh, on Facebook and Instagram. And, and I'll tell you a funny story with liking on Facebook. My, yeah. my dad's on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Yes. There was a running joke. No one would tell him for a couple of years. He's figured it out now. But instead of clicking like, yes. he used to type like, <laughs> yeah, and no one told him. No one told him. Everyone kept it quiet because it was just Come quite on. funny. Scene. Really? Like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That, that, that was my dad. And he wanted to be my friend on Facebook. He's, he's my dad. There's no button. In, yeah, maybe in Greek Facebook, yeah. there's a button. Well, it's revolutionised the way we yeah, yeah, the way yeah. we communicate. My my but, mother calls it bookface. Book <laughs> says like, uh, get on the bookface and book tell face, me what they say. Face plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, we're we're on there. So send in your questions. Yeah. Uh, we we had some questions. And Chocolate Johnny on Instagram asked a question. Chocolate yeah. Johnny. Chocolate Johnny. <laughs> Are muscle cars still popular with the price of petrol so high? There's two questions. Well, that's the first one. The second one is, what do you think of muscle cars being converted from fuel to electric? Mm. So, we didn't... I mean, we... Interesting. You, you talked about the V8s, the Shakers. Um, they're thirsty engines. There was no such thing as uh, fuel economy figures quoted or, or anything yeah. like that. yeah. Will that have an impact of the price of fuel now, and and we are in a period of high yeah. uh, high fuel prices? Yes. Will that affect the popularity oh. of these vehicles? Do you think? Not at all. I understand. I think. But look, muscle cars are not driven as daily drivers. They're enthusiasts. They're hobby cars. They're taken out once a week, once a month, or sometimes never. They sit in in a museum, and people mm. just go and buy them. If you've got to be, if you are concerned about the price of petrol and you are a muscle car enthusiast, then you're not a muscle car enthusiast. That's, that's like saying, I bought a Bentley, um, I'm really concerned about the fuel consumption. It, it, it's, it's not about that. If your genre is muscle cars, it's not about that. You will put $100 in it, and if, it takes, if it's over in an hour, then you know, you've, you've had that buzz and you've got your fix, and off it goes. It's not about the price of fuel. Um, so, yeah, that, to answer and, that. And the world runs out of fuel. Mm. Um, do we switch these cars to electric? Look, or do we go to a nah. mad? Is there nah, a mad? Ma nah, they, 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 it's a Mad Max era. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, are we going to go Mad Max? Yeah. They cease being what they what they are. I mean, to, to convert muscle cars to electric cars, like I said before, the whole muscle car experience as we have described it here is about the smell, the noise, the vibration. I mean, the electric cars take all of that away. I'm not saying they have their place, and they will definitely be the norm one day of days. 
Uh, but to convert a muscle car to an electric car, it'll probably perform a lot better, to be honest, uh, with the way these electric cars are going and the technology they're putting in them. But mm. it's not about that. It's a bit like saying, um, I tell you, I, I'll draw a very good analogy for you. I'm a, I'm a bit of a watch guy too. So what happens with watches is you get the antique collectible watch guys that, that collect mechanical watches. Now, mechanical watches, and the more complicated they are, and the more they're worth more money. Cut a long story short. Then, of course, came along quartz watches. Mm. More accurate, quartz watches. More, most, now, quartz watches are worth $5 compared to a, you know, a multi uh, $10,000 classic with a mechanical movement that you still have to physically wind or automatically uh, wind through the shaker. So that's the difference. That's the difference. It's about the purist. It's about the mechanical versus the very boring but efficient electric. So you're a wind-up Windows man, not power I'm windows. a wind-up Windows guy. I still don't know what they are. But that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, mate. It's a, very, it's, a very, it's a very vague analogy, but that's probably the best thing I've heard. Podcasting's not very visual, but the hand goes like that, oh, okay, and gotcha. the other way it does something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, okay, up and down, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. And we had another question uh, from Mary Ronis Events on Instagram. It's a okay. familiar surname. And she asked, do red cars really go faster? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so th this is the one thing, and this is how I will tell you. As a young kid, uh, you would, it's, it's about the wow factor, right? Obviously, you know, I know that's a tongue-in-cheek thing, but it's about the wow, the wow factor. We sat on the corner watching the cars come round the bend onto Conrod Strait, right? And when a yellow car would come around, it sort of faded. Oh, nice car, oh, faded. When a green car came around the bend, oh, it's a green car, and off it went, oh, it's a car. When a blue car came around, oh, blue car. But when a red car came you around, mate, that's why the Ford cars, the, the, all the go-fast bits, they, they were, were red, right? So when the GDHO Moffat came around, then mate, you saw it before you heard it, before you felt it. Red, so there you go, it's it's visual. Red, red, cars red cars go faster. faster. Wow, and everyone's buying black silvers and, and, and greys. <laughs> AMG don't come in any other black and white, do they? Oh, no, I've seen an AMG red. Uh, resale's down, but anyway, that's, <laughs> very that's, very that's their problem. Well, that were the questions for this week. Yeah, so basically, that, that's that, that we'll call that a wrap. Uh, follow us on uh, Instagram and, and Facebook. Uh, we're on email. You can send questions to us on email on, on all talk, T-O-R-Q-U-E, see what we've done there, um, at outlook.com.au. Um, like I said, we're on Instagram and uh, iTunes. Uh, those of you who are on Androids will figure out those platforms and... Um, uh, and if you're listening to us, it means you found us. So thank you very much, Harry, for coming in. My pleasure. Our first guest and on debut, and uh, Ross is uh, one, of, one of the co-hosts, so he's on debut. And uh, poor Hal, he's uh, he was sick, his nose was blocked, <laughs> and um, he's he's he, he would have uh, wanted to ask a few questions because he's got his uh, GDSR that we mentioned on the yeah, last podcast. Correct and you know what his trick is yeah. as well. Um, he leaves his car <laughs> nearly empty. Ah. So if they do steal it, yes, can't go too far. They're going to have to go to a server with his cameras. And he's also always running very fresh fuel instead of stale fuel. Very that's, clever. That's also another <laughs> thing. Okay, we've got a fuel problem too because you'll just have to run a little bit. That's it. Yeah, yeah, it's just that the, the yellow light that's yeah. always on may <laughs> blow out before any other light. But that's... Uh, so regards to Hadul, he'll be on the next podcast. So thank you very much Pleasure. for listening. Anytime. And uh, bye for now.